Well, good morning again, LifeSpring. Uh, I want to welcome you if you're visiting with us today or if you've been visiting over the last few weeks and we haven't met. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here at LifeSpring. Thank you for fellowshipping with us. And by the way, if you haven't stopped by our welcome center here, I please do. So we have a free gift for you and uh, we'd love to meet you. And also those of you tuning in online today, thank you for joining us. Uh, by the way, it's the first Sunday of the month, which means we've got a building fund update for you. And if you don't know what this building fund is all about, I'm about to tell you right now. So here at LifeSpring, we don't own anything. We actually rent from Integrity Life, and that's been the case for 22 years now. And so uh, a few years ago, we felt like the Lord was calling us to uh, own something of our own, so to speak. I mean, it's all the Lord's, but to be used for his mission and his good purposes in this area. And so we've started this fund, and uh, we had a goal, and we hit that goal, but we just got to keep going. Because if you've looked at prices recently, they just keep going up too. All right, so we've got an update here for you and a number. Are you guys ready for this? We're currently at $410,240. We want to thank you, each and every one of you. Thank you so much for your generosity. And with that, I'll be passing this basket around. One of the things we do uh, is that we just want to continue collecting funds on the first of the month. And so I'll hand this off here and this will go around and we will collect for the building fund. <laughs> okay, so today marks week two of our Christmas series. And last week, Braden, or youth and young adults pastor, and well, he has so many other hats that he wears around here, uh, preached on the shepherds. And Braden, where, wherever you are, I know you're in here somewhere serving probably. Great job. I was so encouraged by what you shared. And this morning, we'll be looking at Joseph and his part in the story of Christmas and what we can learn from him. But before I get into my sermon for today, let's turn our attention to the screens. We've got a video here, and our media team will be queuing that up. Don't. Don't look at me that way. I don't want to hear it. I mean it, Delilah. and you know it. Oh, well, how's that again? How's 90 miles with my pregnant wife for one? And you're not the smoothest ride ever. No offense. What if she starts contracting on the way? Yes. In fact, I am throwing myself a pity party and you're invited, so stop complaining about it. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I don't blame you. I blame Caesar and this whole head counting nonsense. The truth is, and I'm only telling you this 
Under ordinary circumstances, I would love to make the trip back to Bethlehem and see my family again, my, my uncles, my cousins, of course, Aunt Yael. But now, <laughs> how am I supposed to explain all this? Mary, Mary needed an angel to explain it to her. I needed a divine dream to get it. What am I supposed to do when I get to Bethlehem, huh? Break the ice over some matzah? What is my family going to say when they see Mary and I together and she looks... <sighs> Doesn't matter. We have to make the trip to Bethlehem because I, way, way back, am related to a king. What do you mean I don't look like I have royal blood? It's true. I'm related to a king. And she is about to give birth to a king. And... You said marry her. So I did. You said, name him Jesus, so I will. You said, you said he would be the son of God. Your son. You are too good to us, Lord. What was impossible to believe still <laughs> seems so impossible. So, girl, you will be carrying Mary, and Mary will be carrying the Son of God, and I will be carrying a lot, a lot to process. This little pity party thing stays between us, okay? Come the long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Let us pray. Father, thank you indeed for sending your Son, God. He did come to set us free, Lord. And that freedom is still found in Him today, God. Salvation is still found in Him, Lord. So I pray with you, instruct us by your words this morning. In your mighty name I pray, amen. So our series is called Songs of the Savior. And the song you heard at the end of that video was written in 1744 by Charles Wesley, and is titled, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Now, in my research for today, I found out that this hymn has become a staple of Christian hymnody, especially during the Advent season. But I must confess that the first time I heard this song was in preparation for today, actually. Now, my lack of familiarity with the song doesn't change its profound message and I want to read the first verse of this hymn for us. It reads like this. 
It says, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Their desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Beautiful is said, don't you think? And as I reflected and researched this song in preparation for today, there's a lot that's highlighted here in this first stanza. The first verse of this hymn speaks to many themes, but I'd like to start with two things that stands out to me. First, it speaks to expectation of the Messiah. The hymn speaks of a long-awaited Messiah, a theme that's central to the narrative of Jesus' birth. And Joseph, a devout Jew, would have shared in this expectation. The fulfillment of this expectation in Jesus' birth is the crux of the Christmas story in which Joseph plays a key role. The second thing I want to highlight here is that it speaks to Jesus' birth as a fulfillment of prophecy. The hymn references the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, which is a significant aspect of the Christmas story. And Joseph's role in the narrative, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, is often shown in light of prophecies being fulfilled. Prophecies such as the virgin birth from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. And you can find that reference in Micah 5 2. Now speaking of Micah, Micah is not a book in the Bible that gets a lot of attention. Yet there is in Micah an awesome prophecy about the birthplace of the Messiah. Let me also add that the prophet Micah lived some 700 years before Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is revealed in Micah through an amazing prophecy spoken 700 years before Jesus would come on the scene. Let's read that reference from Micah 5, 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, the book of Matthew cites this prophecy of Micah as being fulfilled by Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. And Matthew 2.6 says this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You know, scholars tell us, that Matthew tells the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective, while Luke tells the story from Mary's. And for today's sermon, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. So feel free to join me there. We won't read the verses just yet, but uh, you can keep it marked for when we do. Because before we get into the text for today, I want us to take into consideration the context of where we're going. I'll try to frame what was happening there. And I have a bit of an intro here, so bear with me. See, in those days, a couple was often engaged in childhood when their parents arranged for their future marriage to each other. Then, when they reached the eligible age, they entered the period of betrothal or engagement as we know it. An engagement period usually lasted for one year, 
And it was a preparation year before the actual wedding. So by now, everyone in the town considered Joseph and Mary to be husband and wife, even though they did not live together and had not yet consummated the marriage. And an engagement in those days could only be broken by a divorce decree. It was serious stuff. So after about one year of engagement, the marriage ceremony took place and the husband and wife would officially live with each other. And it's at some time during the engagement period that Joseph had this dream when the angel of the Lord came to him and told him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, a year of engagement is a long time for a young couple to wait. That's 525,600 minutes to be exact. That is how long Joseph and Mary had to put up with the gossip and contempt and questions from their family and neighbors. See, everyone assumed they had not consummated their marriage, yet Mary was pregnant. You're tracking with me here? The, the conclusion of many was that she's an adulterer. The solution, well, the law prescribes stoning her to death. And these are the types of very real fears Joseph and Mary had to deal with when they were chosen by God. So today our focus will be on Joseph and the walk of faith that the Christmas story drew him into. One that required strength of character. One that required obedience. The willingness to take risk and being aware of and staying awake to the spiritual reality of what was unfolding in his life. Saying yes to faith required Joseph to make brave choices in response to the revelations of God's will for his life. And it put him on a completely different path than he had planned. And Joseph demonstrated great character in the midst of confusion. You know, when we are under pressure, who we really really are comes out. And this was certainly true for Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. And righteousness is what came out. When he was caught in the middle of a public scandal and his own personal pain, his response to the situation came from deep inside his own character rather than being shaped by the pressure that was coming from outside forces. See, even in the midst of what he possibly perceived as a betrayal, his choices were driven by his great love and commitment to Mary's well-being. And also by his own inner conviction about how he wanted to respond to the situation. See, had Joseph made a different choice, no doubt, Jesus would have still been born. But it would have made for a very different story probably. One full of bitterness and human vindictiveness. Spite and hostility. His choice alone, the choice to be good to Mary in the face of his own disappointment and personal pain, revealed an inner strength and a profound constancy and dependability that confirmed he was the one to walk beside her as she opened up herself so completely to the Lord. See, sometimes we don't think about the narrative in this way. And I'm not saying that this is how it happened, but... My wife and I, we've been watching uh, The Chosen, 
And the chosen does a very good job of setting the scene for probably what took place and the emotions that were involved there. I'm not saying it happened just like that. But for us, in a very 21st century way, it brings it home. And so if you ever want to take some time to kind of live that through our current lens, look at the chosen. Plus, it's also very good content. It's about Jesus, so it'll change your life. So first of all, this story about the birth of our Savior, it's a reminder, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down here. It's a reminder that knowing God's character and knowing God's faithfulness allows us to have peace in any circumstance. And Joseph's story is a great example of this. Let's read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to his son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. In a passage that we just read, when Joseph had originally heard the news of Mary's pregnancy, he was going to very discreetly arrange for a divorce. He was a kind and merciful man. And why do I say that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, he could have had her stoned for adultery, which would have been a very public, humiliating, and painful death. Additionally, though, the fact that he even considered this divorce option tells us that he was unsure that the marriage to Mary was worth the risk until the angel of the Lord spoke to him. See, in the midst of his grief, his inner turmoil, and probably his sleepless nights, God sent an angel to tell him the truth about his situation, to calm his inner turmoil, and to give him the wisdom to know what to do. See, in order to stay faithful to the walk of faith, Joseph had to wake up and realize the spiritual reality rather than being hindered in and by a more human perspective. He needed to have the willingness to change his approach to the situation based on his encounter with the angel and to see it in a whole new way based on the angel's revelation. May I remind you, and we just read it earlier in the passage, Joseph had planned to put Mary away quietly. And it was a good plan. It came from a good place inside him, but it was still only a human plan that came from looking at a situation exclusively from a human perspective. Church, 
And you might want to write this down as well. The walk of faith required Joseph to wake up and to see his situation from the vantage point of what God was doing. But it also required him to change his approach accordingly. Has God ever asked you to change some plans? Hmm? Have you ever had your own plans and you had it all planned out in your mind and this is what I'm going to do at 10, 11, 12, 13? Or maybe you didn't start that early and you're in this stage of life where I'm going to retire and do X, Y, and Z. Or you just started a young family and this is how we're going to do things. You have your plans all mapped out. And the Lord comes along and said, well, how about this? Has that ever happened to you? I want to invite my wife to come share with us, Debbie. And she'll be sharing about a time when God did just that in our lives. So if you would um, talk to me about 15 years ago, and if by chance we were having coffee, we were having a conversation, something you might have heard me say is that I never wanted to be a pastor's wife. Another thing you would have probably heard me say is that I had no desire to leave my country, be on short trips abroad, here and there. I love Belize. My son and grandchildren are there. My comfort level is on point. We know the trees, the flowers, the herbs by name. When they will bloom, what color their flowers will be, what fruit they will bear, and when. In Belize, we lived with the ability to travel to Guatemala or Mexico on a weekend and did that regularly. There are the beaches, the food, the languages, the music. I could go on and on. A while back, we did a next level class with Kent and Pete about Abraham. And in it, it made me realize that if God had outrightly asked me to leave my country of origin for the length of time that we have, there is a possibility, and this is very humbling to say, there is a possibility it might have been a no for me. When Jesse and I made the decision to come to the U.S., we assumed it wouldn't be for more than six months. We were coming to get some immigration stuff cleared up for me, and then we would return to Belize. In the year leading up to our departure, this is like, this is how serious this was for us, like, we had sunk some money into home renovation, and we only got to stay in that home for one month. As we were leaving, our pastor's wife, in praying over us, prayed for me, said, you will do great things. And I was like, woman, what? What are you talking about? I won't be there long enough to do great things. We left Belize in October 2017, and the first place we lived in was Michigan. It felt like an adventure to us until we met with an immigration lawyer who told us my process was going to take longer than we had planned. And so I thought, you know, okay, I can do a year away from Belize. And then a series of events culminated in us having to make some serious decisions. And my first reaction was to say to Jesse, forget all of this. Our country didn't expel us. We can go home. We can go and pick up right back where we left off. And then around that time, 
One night while I slept, I felt like the Lord asked me if I could be Jesse's wife as he pastors. I heard him ask me this. I woke up out of my sleep and I said, yes, Lord, I can do that. I said yes to what I felt was the Lord was asking me to do. Not only was it outside of my comfort zone, it went against something that I had repeatedly said I would never do. And then there was another series of miraculous events. And the Lord led us to LifeSpring, Foursquare Church in Edgewood, Washington. As Jesse's responsibilities increased here, Pastor Mary and Pastor Laura encouraged me to do WIMO, Women in Ministry Leadership. I objected. But one year during our 21 day of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year, I really felt like that was what the Lord wanted me to do, and so I did it. It was life-changing. When I was in Belize, I didn't feel I had the spiritual authority to share with others from the pulpit. The imposter syndrome was real. I felt like my past was too ugly and my sins were too many. But a few months after being at LifeSpring, I sat in a car with Linda Falstrom for three hours on our way to a women's retreat. And she pried parts of my story out of me in a conversation that made me realize that the stories didn't have to stay locked up inside of me. The first time I spoke on a Sunday morning at LifeSpring, Bob May encouraged me with the very words I needed to hear. The second time I spoke, or dear Catherine C., prayed over me, helping to release me from that imposter syndrome that wanted to keep me quiet. Last year in October, when we were at the women's retreat in Bellevue, I sat in a Starbucks waiting to be joined by some other women. While I waited, the Lord spoke clearly to me in the way that I know he speaks to me. And he said, you belong here. I nearly spilled hot coffee. Because it was so sudden and unexpected. And I said, yes, Lord, if you say so. A couple of months later, the immigration process that had brought us here in the first place came to a successful conclusion, and I became a U.S. citizen five years after we first moved here. So I don't know. Maybe Jesse and I make it look easy living far away from home. But as multilingual people, a part of leaving home is having all kinds of translations going on in your head at all times and hoping that what comes out of your mouth is smooth, coherent English. It is also not ever having a full grasp of American culture, what's acceptable and what isn't. It is looking at trees and having to Google them or ask people what they are. It's sometimes feeling the drumbeat of our music or hearing the Caribbean sea swoosh in our ears, but to keep going as if that isn't happening. And it's not being able to find our beloved Colantro seasoning in any supermarket. Walking in this tension is what obedience to God's call has been for us. I've often thought over the years of how different our lives would have been if we had stayed where we were comfortable. There was ministry that God had for us to do that required us to leave home. And after we had left, to keep putting one foot in front of the other in obedience to the calling God has had in our lives. There were people we needed to meet, 
who would influence and direct us and people who we would influence and direct. So here we are, trying our best to be obedient, even though this obedience looks nothing like what either of us had planned for our lives. You know, that story my wife just shared, it makes me emotional. But I'm sure that many of you have had similar experiences like this, where you had your own plans, and the Lord came along and said, well, how about this? Because you've had such experiences, you know that this kind of relinquishment can be hard. The relinquishment of a plan that we have already mapped out in our heads. And for Joseph, surrendering his own plan was necessary if he was going to respond to the spiritual reality that was unfolding in the midst of this human drama. It required inner vision that enabled him to perceive far more than the human eye can see and comprehend. And so I'm telling you, like, this is my life right now. And so much uh, so that I am preaching to myself. As much as this is for all of us, I am preaching first and foremost to myself. See, Joseph's situation called him to rise above his own pain and confusion to believe that all this was taking place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. But imagine the inner turmoil he was going through. You know, the story of Joseph, it brings me to a question and a passage we just read from in Matthew. I mean, why did the angel of the Lord wait until after Joseph had considered his options? Why did God make Joseph wait before he told him who Jesus' real father was? Like, that's a question I have. Maybe you don't have that question, but it's one that I have. And, and I, here's what I think. I think that it's because it's in the waiting rooms of life that we discover what we really believe about God. How do we react to our times of waiting? Do we get angry? Do we get scared, cynical, self-pitying? Or do we focus on who God is and look for ways that God could be working in our situation already? How do we use our times of waiting? Do we complain or try to work out all the various options? How do we react? See, one of the inspiring things about the story of Joseph and Mary and their young son is that when God gave them the news that Mary would give birth to the Messiah, neither one started a conversation with God. They just obeyed and they acted in faith. Church, when we start to wake up and see more clearly what the walk of faith requires, we're faced with a choice. The choice to get up and do what the Lord has commanded us to do and to subordinate every other thought and desire to the revealed will of God. Paul calls this the obedience of faith. See, knowing the will of God is not enough. Doing it is what matters. Here in our world and in this flesh, our desire to avenge ourselves, to explain ourselves and to be understood, to maintain personal comfort and security, to have our lives make sense to others or to be validated by them, is subordinated, or rather I should say should be subordinated to the 
deeper desire to say yes to God and join him in what he is doing. And this kind of obedience might mean that for a time at least, we are willing to look like a fool to everyone else. People are like, you left beaches and the tropics to come freeze in Michigan? What's wrong with you? We landed and it started snowing by the end of the week. I'd never lived in such conditions. <laughs> never in my life I learned to drive in the snow in Michigan. People were like, we don't get this. And then when it turned out we were staying longer, they were like, well, we surely don't get it. Are we willing to look like a fool to everyone else because God's wisdom and plans can often seem like foolishness to this world? And if I'm being honest to us as well, 1 Corinthians 1.25 puts it like this, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, many of us harbor a subtle belief or at least a hope, I think, that we can say yes to the walk of faith and it won't require much of us. That we can follow God's will and never have to appear foolish. That we can take the risk of following God and still have our security in all these earthly things. That we can be righteous and yet take subtle vengeance in those who have betrayed us. That we can be awake to the spiritual reality and still accommodate ourselves the human thinking and planning that we can fudge on faith just a little and it won't matter but i am here to tell you that there's nothing in scripture that supports this in fact the scriptures clearly indicate that he who finds his life purely on purely on the level of human survival will eventually lose it and he who loses his life at this level will surely find it Church, acting in faith is really the message of Christmas. It takes faith to declare to the world around us that a poor Jewish carpenter born 2,000 years ago is Emmanuel, God with us. It takes faith to say that Jesus came to save us from our sins and restore us to God. It takes faith to say that God's plan for salvation of the world only comes through Jesus Christ. It takes faith to say, come be Lord and Savior of my life, Jesus, and change whatever you need need to change and make my life pleasing unto you it takes faith to say those things because people will ridicule you sometimes your own family members it takes faith to step out when the lord has asked you to do something author charles swindle puts it like this courage is not limited to the battlefield or the indianapolis 500 or bravely catching a thief in your house, the real tests of courage are much quieter. They are the inner tests, like remaining faithful when nobody's looking, like enduring pain when the room is empty, like standing alone when you're misunderstood. See, Joseph knew that he would be standing alone. He knew that he would be misunderstood, that the men of his village would gossip, that the women of his town would sneer, and that his family may very well turn against him and his new wife. But Joseph trusted the promises of God, and he knew it was worth the risk to follow God, even when it wasn't easy. Church, let me remind you, it's worth the risk to follow God. 
whatever it is in your life. Lord, but the bills or the job, I need. it's worth the risk. He is your provider. A few years ago, this phrase, keep calm and carry on, became popular. It was on like, there were memes on shirts and people just kept saying it. And isn't that what Joseph and Mary did when God told them that they would bring God's son into the world? And isn't that a sign of their great faith and courage? See, such faith and courage comes only from trusting in God's character and God's promises. That kind of faith and courage comes from submitting to God's will. You know, the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, is specifically associated with Advent. And if you were on our Bible reading plan today, you might have seen a message popped up and it tells you participate in Advent devotionals because it's that season we're in. But Advent is the period leading up to Christmas in the Christian calendar. Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And the hymn encapsulates the longing for the coming of the Messiah. And that's why we shouldn't just celebrate Christmas as one day in the life of the church. Rather, we should celebrate it as a whole season, the season of Advent, which means coming. But really, we should name it a season of waiting. Why? Well, because the whole Christmas season is about waiting on the promises of God, waiting and trusting on God's faithfulness, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And it was undoubtedly hard for Joseph to make sense of it all. He sees you in what you're going through. So church, in this season of waiting, I pray That you will find the peace of God that comes from trusting in Emmanuel, God with us in all things. Advent is the place where we pause and take in Jesus in a new way. And this doesn't come easily, especially in this season when there's so much to do. But Advent invites us to choose to stop. It invites us to take a spiritual and mental break and to take in the wonder of Jesus who comes as a baby and the Christ who is our high priest and our connection to God. Advent calls us out of the rush, the hurry. The overwhelming madness of Christmas into stillness where we meet Jesus, our high priest. We need to learn to pause and to learn from that pause. Advent invites us to stop, to wait, to dig in and to find the mysterious presence of Jesus again. And as we do, it makes us suspend the world's time and get on his timing. You know, one of the most striking things about Joseph's story is that He was not one of the main characters of the story. Think about that. His was a supporting role in the truest sense. In the truest sense of the word. And yet his choices mattered so much. We might think that our ability to walk in faith doesn't matter all that much. We might think we can play it safe. Let others take all the risk and it won't affect anything. But Joseph's story tells us that nothing could be further from the truth. Joseph's story tells us that our willingness to take the journey of faith affects everything. It tells us that the walk of faith will require something of us, perhaps more than we thought we were capable of. But it also tells us that 
as we say yes to the walk of faith, we too can find our place in the greatest story ever told, the story of God's purposes lived out in and through our simple existence. We too can experience God with us like we have never experienced him before. My prayer is that you would experience him in this way, church. As I get ready to close, I want to invite the worship team up. And as they play quietly here and get ready to lead us in come thou long expected Jesus. I want you, each and every one of you sitting here, those of you tuned in online. I want you to reflect on how this hymn connects deeply with the story of Jesus' birth, but also to us today. There are a few things that comes to mind here. First, this universal longing for salvation. The hymn expresses a universal longing for deliverance and salvation. A theme that's relevant for us today, even when Jesus was born back then. But two, Jesus is the answer to human need. The hymn points to Jesus as the answer to the deepest needs of humanity. For our freedom, our peace and rest. This is central to the Christmas story where Jesus' birth represents God's response to the world's longing for redemption. And isn't the world trying to find that today in so many other places? You can only find it in Him. He is our salvation. He is our freedom. He is our peace. And for those of us who are believers, this underscores the relevance of Jesus as a source of hope and salvation in our lives. Friends, Advent is a time of reflection and anticipation. And the hymn encapsulates this dual focus of He came as a baby, but He's going to come again for us. Additionally, though, I want you to think about which current or maybe even past stuff-down situation you need to invite the Lord into. Where may he be calling you to play a supporting role? What walk of faith is he inviting you into? Where in your life requires strength of character, obedience, the willingness to take risk and being aware of and saying and staying awake to the spiritual reality of what is unfolding before you? Invite him into your situation. Take the risk. It is worth it with Jesus. Amen. Would you invite him in today, church?